Each year, tens of thousands of book lovers of all ages visit the nation's capital to celebrate the joys of reading and lifelong literacy at the National Book Festival, sponsored by the Library of Congress and hosted by First Lady Laura Bush. Now in its seventh year, this free event held on the National Mall, Saturday, September 29th, will spark readers' passion for learning as they interact with the nation's best-selling authors, illustrators, and poets. Children will be greeted by their beloved storybook characters like Clifford the Big Red Dog. In addition to readings by your favorite authors, there will be book signings, musical performances, and more. Even those not attending the National Book Festival in person can access the event online. These pre-recorded interviews with well-known authors are available through the National Book Festival website in podcast format. To download or listen to those, you can visit www.loc.gov slash bookfest. We now have the pleasure to talk with three-time winner of the Caldecott Medal, Mr. David Wiesner, who will be appearing in the Children Pavilion at the festival on September 29th. Mr. Wiesner has truly perfected the art of visual storytelling. His latest book is a fantastical watercolor journey called Flotsam, which tells the story of a young boy who discovers an old camera washed up on the Jersey Shore and his adventure after this wonderful find. Flotsam was recently on the New York Times children's bestseller list. Mr. Wiesner, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And now, while I was looking at this book, it occurred to me there are no words. I mean, do we actually, do we call this reading? What do you call it when you look at a picture book? (laughs) You absolutely do call it reading. Um, You're just reading pictures instead of words. Uh, it's It's a different way of telling a story. Um... There's actually a, a relatively long history for wordless books, and you know they they don't offer a, a better or worse reading experience, just a different one. And I think really the, the difference comes in the fact that each person reading the book tells the story in their own words. There isn't the text, the author's voice telling you the story. Mm-hmm. Each reader can complete that themselves, which is really a neat thing to see. Um, everybody brings something a little different to the way they tell the story. Um, I, you know, I view it as I'm, I'm just using different tools than words, um, using pictures, but the, the writing of the book uh, happens in a very similar manner as to writing a text. I'm concerned with the same sorts of story elements and character and beginning, middle, and end to the story as I would with a text, except that I'm, I'm using pictures. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it can be a little um, maybe intimidating, usually not for kids, more, I think uh, <laughs> often for parents um, who aren't quite sure what to do with it. But um, I, I found when I'm in a bookstore or something and I read the book out loud, there's often, uh, you know, you see a, the, the light of recognition in the eyes where they go, oh, you know, I didn't know how to do that, but that makes sense because when I tell the story, I, I throw in dialogue and description and anything I feel like, you know, to tell the story. It's, it's very open to uh, whatever you want to bring to it. Yeah, I think in some ways it's almost even more compelling because it does cause the reader to sort of create their own internal dialogue with it. Yeah, um, and there's, you know, there's no right or wrong here. Uh, it's uh, It's an interesting... Phenomena. It's something that I came to as a, you know, an art form that I was intrigued by and wanted to explore. And it really wasn't until I started to publish, because I've done four of them now, wordless books, um, the first, and started to get 
letters back from teachers, librarians, and kids, obviously, that I began to see, you know, how they're really used, and it's been great to, uh, uh, I've recently got a, a package from a school that, that wrote a play around one of my wordless books, um, and they sent me photos and the text, uh, the, the uh, script for, the, for their play, it was amazing. Um, it really seems to want to inspire, actually it seems to want to inspire kids to then turn around and write their version of the story, which which I hear a lot from teachers. Uh, and um, also um, huge use in uh, English as a second language classes and like that where um, kids who might be a little intimidated by a text sort of get freed up to just sort of tell the story in their own words. So that's been very interesting for me to see how they're actually used. I think that inspirational element is really a big reason why we like to put on the book festival. Could you talk a little bit about why why you think the book festival is important and why you're coming? Oh, I think anything that <laughs> inspires people to want to read and get involved with books is just a wonderful thing. It's ah, the world the worlds that are offered within books um, and the journeys you can take, whether it's you know using your imagination or in nonfiction books into history, uh, you know it's a pathway that that engages the mind in a very active way. Uh, I, I'm not going to completely you know slam movies and TV and things. I, I certainly love them, but it's a very that's a very passive sort of um, medium to deal with. The books you know really engage the child's mind and, and gets it stimulated in thinking and uh, the fact that uh, the National Book Festival is happening in, on this grand national stage I think is just a, a wonderful thing and um, you know I'm delighted to get to be a part of it. Uh, it's really you know an amazing uh, amazing place to uh, meet and see the, the wide variety of uh, books and and get to meet the, the people who actually make the books, too. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it's always uh, a neat thing. I certainly never met any authors or illustrators when I was a kid, and it's so great now that, you know, kids, you can see that there, is, there are real people who create the books. And, um, and, you know, who knows? Some of them might want to do that themselves. Well, and I really appreciate what you're saying about the active versus the passive experience. I mean, I found myself really lingering on some of the images in a way that you really can't easily do with TV and movies. Talk a little bit, if you would, about your illustrating process and what goes into creating these unique drawings. I mean, I read that you use uh, storyboards and, for instance, clay models of frogs for your book Tuesday. Um the the process for a picture book is just you know it's an amazing thing uh, it's a really unique art form and it uh, for me just I bring to it but sadly you know you run into often a response that's gee I never realized how much went in how much work went into putting a picture book together almost as if but it's just something for kids and you know these books are the first art that kids see, and quite frankly, I think it ought to be as good as it possibly can be. So I bring everything that I've learned over the years uh, as far as picture making and storytelling, you know, to bear when I, when I put a book together. So, and I have a great time doing it, which is even, even better. Um, it's 
you know, there's a very cinematic quality, I think, to, to my work. Um, so I'm laying out the entire book um, in very rough form in a sketchbook and then in, in pencil studies, but really just creating a rhythm to the pictures that hopefully will make, you know, an interesting reading experience. So there are um, pages with many little panels of, of different action going on, followed by a big double-page spread of a single image that has a whole load of uh, material, stuff happening, characters, things in the background, things in the foreground, so that, you know, your eye kind of scans these pages with lots of panels very quickly. Um, it's a very quick thing, but when you then follow that up with a page full of detail, it's a place where you really you know, the eye lingers over the page and kind of gets lost back in the pictures. I like to put things in there that, you know, maybe you don't see the first time around. And later you'll read it again and go, oh, you know, I didn't notice that the last time. So the reading, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking about the act of reading the book um, and how quickly or, or slowly your eye is going to scan the pages. And, and that is the, the great thing I find about the book compared to, say, you know, a moving image on TV or so, which, you know, goes by in a flash. With a book, you can really hold it steady and and examine it and, and see what's happening. Because particularly in a wordless book, everything in the picture is telling, being part of the storytelling process because the text is not there. So in the opening um, double-page spread in Flotsam, we see our protagonist, the boy who the story is about, um, sitting on the beach, and he's got a, uh, he's found a sand crab, and he's looking at it through a magnifying glass. Everything else in the picture there is to immediately tell you who this kid is. He's, he's lying on the, the beach towel, but he's got a collecting box, he's got buckets and shovels, but he's also got a big bag with a butterfly net and snorkel. He's got binoculars, his magnifying glass, he's even got a, mat, a microscope in a Ziploc bag there. And so you can see this is one serious collector. <laughs> He's a really curious kid who's who's really into um, this. So, you know, I put all that stuff in there to immediately um, describe his personality in picture form as opposed to uh, with words. So there's, um, I'm thinking about all that as, I, as I'm creating the rough version of the pictures. When I then have to go and make the pictures, um, draw them the way they're really going to be in the book, that's when the fun part starts because then I just go out and I find really neat things to draw, things that I'd like to, you know, spend time drawing. So, but I also have to, as I, in that page I just described, I have to go get a microscope and binoculars and always like to look at the real thing, obviously, that I'm drawing um, because there are kids out there <laughs> who know what everything looks like. Yeah. And if you make mistakes, you hear from them and they're send your letter and say, you know, on this page you drew this and it's wrong. So I always, you know, want to make sure I'm very careful. And often um, just in a desire to see more clearly what it is I'm going to be drawing, I'll make models of things. Um, in my book Tuesday, which is about uh, frogs flying on lily pads, I didn't really want a frog on my drawing table, and I couldn't pick it up and turn it around and draw it, you know, as I needed it. So I made... Um, clay frogs that I could use, which hmm. um, worked just fine. I've, I've built, you know, structures or buildings. You know, it's very rudimentary, but it's enough to give 
me a sense of what it is I'm, I'm really trying to draw and how I want to view it. So um, it's just, uh, you know, anything that needs to be done <laughs> yeah. to help, help further uh, create hopefully a believable universe within my book, you know, I've, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, I think that readers will see a lot of influences from the past, from maybe some past artistic movements in in your work. Can you talk about who have been some of your influences in terms of painters? And I think I also heard that the Renaissance and surrealistic movements have influenced you as well. Yeah, when I was a kid, I uh, I would go down to my uh, local library, the Bambrook, New Jersey Public Library, and they had the the, the great big series of time life life books um, on the the great artists and the art movements, and I just love to sit and look through these books. Um, they were, it just often seemed like each painting was, was full of stories. And I particularly was drawn to the Renaissance painters, you know, Da Vinci and Michelangelo and Durer, people like that. And, um, um, you know, if you look in the back of the Mona Lisa, you know, <laughs> she's painted pretty well, yeah. But if you look in the back of her, there's this landscape that clearly Da Vinci just made this up because there's no place on earth that looks like this. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it almost looks like Mars. It's, it's wild. And I love that sort of thing going on um, in the back of a lot of the paintings. Painters like Peter Bruegel, who you can start in the very foreground of the paintings and follow roads and paths and um, little, little people all the way back through uh, roads and forests and things to the very, very distance. And I love that um, level of detail that you can just get sucked all the way through into the, the deep recesses of the, the picture. Um, so that sort of um, painting style always appealed to me. I then discovered the surrealists, uh, a number of whom painted in that very academic style as well. But the stuff they were painting <laughs> was really, really strange. And certainly to me, a 12 or 13 or however old I was, um, that was really appealing to not only their um, technical ability, but just all this really weird stuff. And that if you could see my um, uh, the things that I was painting and drawing at that age, it clearly reflects um, the influence of the, the surrealist painters. Um, I, you know, it was just a very believable. Uh, dream world mm-hmm. that they were showing, which uh, is something that I have, I think, tried to capture. Although, I, you know, for myself, uh, I, I, and this, I, you know, I think I began to realize after the fact, um, the fantasy that I create is all pretty much set in the ordinary world, sort of the day-to-day. I grew up in, you know, suburban New Jersey. And that seems to be roughly where a lot of my stories take place, just kind of out in, you know, suburban America. But, and I love that, that if you could just maybe look around the corner at the right time or or be in the right place at the right time, something really amazing and fantastic would be happening, whether it's, you know, something as silly as flying frogs or, you know, giant vegetables flying through the sky or picking something up off the beach and discovering um, a whole world revealed beneath the ocean. Um, just that that ordinary, that simple act of plucking something up off the beach, you know, leads to this yeah. whole thing. I love that. 
uh, fantasy based in the sort of everyday reality. Yeah, I, I, I really was fascinated by the interplay between those, especially in Flotsam. Can you talk about, do you have any favorite illustrations from Flotsam or from previous books like Tuesday or The Three Pigs, all of which won the Caldecott Medal, of course? Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, I don't know. Uh, it's all, you know, first and foremost, it's, it's the story for me, and much as I try to make each of the individual images as well as I can, they are part of the bigger thing. But um, there are certain recurring things that, that, come back to me, the, the image of the octopuses reading uh, <laughs> under the water there uh, has been in my mind, the octopus in sort of the overstuffed chair. I've been drawing that in my sketchbooks for a couple of years, trying to figure out what to do with it, and I was thrilled to be able to you know, find a place to, to use it in this book. Um, I have... Uh, several other variations on the scene where I wasn't quite sure what, how it would take place. But in the end, I, I liked this idea. I tried to root it a little more in uh, reality. It's kind of hard to use the word reality yeah. in that picture. But if you look in the back of the picture, there's a moving van that has it's fallen off a barge or, or some ship somehow and ended up in the water. So, the, in fact, the, the octopus is have gone in there and taken that um, furniture, the little living room set there, and set it up directly from that. So I was attempting to, to to create a story within the picture that if you you know you look at all the elements, you can kind of get a sense of how this came to be, rather than just you know. Uh, at one point, I had a house under the water, you know, sort of a full living room with walls and things, which looked really neat. But I liked the idea of, of somehow taking the, the story aspect of that image a little farther. Yeah, I found that was probably one of my favorites, too. If you were a young boy right now and you were just starting out as an artist, what do you think are some of the new influences that you might be able to find in the world today? Or are there? You know, are we just bombarded by too much nonsense? <laughs> yeah, it would be... Boy, it would be... It would be interesting. I... I clearly, I spent a huge amount of time as a kid outside playing with my my friends in the neighborhood. That was we just all went out and ran around and, and had a, a huge imaginary life out there. But I also watched a lot of TV, um, old movies and stuff. I loved, you know, they build the schedules back then. You know, King Kong and old science fiction movies and flying saucers. And you know, and my favorite were the 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 giant bug movies, the atomically mutated <laughs> giant insects that seemed there were dozens of those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and they look so so old-fashioned now. Uh, they certainly were magical as a kid, but what kids see now is so incredibly realistically rendered. Uh, I don't want to sound like a curmudgeon or anything. <laughs> it, it, but I wonder sometimes whether it takes some of the the uh, wonder out of it to make it appear so real. I, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot more visual input um, in the world today. And I don't know that that's bad. I don't know that that's good. Um, I'm not sure how. That's an interesting question. <laughs> how that would um, affect a kid who was inclined to draw, inclined to create um, 
my own kids, I know, uh, you know, read voraciously, and, and a lot of their inspiration comes out of out of what they read, which is great. Yeah, that actually leads to my next question. I mean, as, as you're an adult now, I mean, do your own children inspire the work that you do? Do you get feedback from them, or, or do they even in, enjoy drawing themselves? Oh, they're both very much uh, creative kids, incredibly creative and, and doing. I've always made a point of having just it, all the art supplies are there and available and, and, you know, encourage them to use them. You know, we're not saving them, you know, <laughs> you know so do what you want. And they're wonderful uh, uh, feedback people. Uh, I always show them they, they see everything I'm doing through the early stages of when they're very rough pencil drawings, you know, right through to the end. And it was a little unnerving when they were younger at first because, you know, really other than my wife, nobody ever gets to watch me work. And suddenly, you know, they were, my kids were coming into my studio going, what are you working on? Let me see. So, um, and it was fascinating how immediately engaged they were, even in the very rough stages, just, you know, some quick pencil drawings and things like that, um, really just wanted to hear the story, wanted to see it in that, um, in that form. And, uh, so they're sort of the first line of defense. Uh, my wife and my two kids, uh, always kind of know what I'm doing. Sometimes I'll, I'll mull over, uh, what I'm thinking about in terms of the story and where I wanted to go, uh, just to kind of get some initial response from them. I have a story that I, I abandoned because the story, it started great. Oh, it started great. But I couldn't, I just couldn't get it to go anywhere equally as good as the beginning. And my daughter loves it. <laughs> and she keeps saying, when are you going to finish that alien story? So, you know, there's a part of me that is trying real hard to bring that book together because she just uh, really responded to it uh, in these very early stages. Now, in reading your work, I saw a lot of similarities to another genre the graphic novel. Do you, do you have any plans to move in, in that direction, into that market? Um, obviously, comic books were an enormous influence on me, and uh, had the graphic novel sort of been in existence when I came out of art school, uh, I could have imagined going down that path. I didn't want to go into creating comic books, mostly because it, certainly at that time it was you know, superheroes, and, and it was pretty much all aimed at a 14-year-old boy <laughs> yeah. level. Um, the graphic novel, now that the, the range of the audience and what's being done, I think, is fabulous and wonderful. Um, the problem, I find, is it's just an enormous amount of work, and yeah. it takes me a very long time to do a 32-page picture book to do a graphic novel could take mm -hmm. forever. Um, I have a couple of stories that are too long to be picture books, and I'm mulling over the reality of trying to create a uh, graphic novel. Um, but it mostly depends on whether there's a way to streamline the process so that it doesn't take you know endless number of years to do. But yes, I'm I'm really uh, excited by a lot of the work that I see out there. Can, can you talk about any other projects that you have in the works, or is that all hush-hush? <laughs> I've only got, uh, let me see, two of my contracts 
that have on them the name of the book that I actually produced. I have a habit of getting into something and, and if it doesn't work out, switching and changing. Uh, Flotsam is not the book I was contracted for. Um, Tuesday was not the book I was contracted for. So I don't like to talk about stuff too early in the, the game mm -hmm. because you never know if that's what I'm actually going to do. Um, I will just say I, there's a couple of things that I'm uh, working on and so far it looks looks promising. Great. <laughs> that's, that's about all at the moment. I did um, recently complete um, a new set of covers for the Chronicles of Narnia, which was a very different and interesting uh, project to get involved with, you know, uh, mm -hmm. making a, a classic like that and and seeing what you could do with it. So that, that was an interesting uh, sort of uh, sidetrack uh, for a little while. And those those are out this summer, I believe. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Wiesner. And, of course, we look forward to hearing more from you at the National Book Festival on Saturday, September 29th on the National Mall from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. The event is free and open to the public. For more details and a list of participating authors, you can visit www.loc.gov slash bookfest. That's all we have time for from the Library of Congress. Thanks for listening. <laughs>